All right, turn to our master text. Your notes say something a little bit vague. All the information's not there, which doesn't matter because um, I changed up my verse anyway after the printing. So if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 13 through 17. That's going to be our master text this morning, the book of Ephesians. If you're still getting familiar with your Bibles, the book of Ephesians is a six-chapter book toward the end of your Bibles. If you can find Galatians, turn right And you'll run right into Ephesians. And when you find Ephesians chapter 5, would you join me in honoring the reading of the word and stand with me? And let's read this together. Verses 13 through 17. I'm reading out of the NIV this morning, the old NIV, 1984. You read out of whatever version you have. It says this, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Key verse right here, verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, But understand what the Lord's will is. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Well, as you know, we've been on this uh, series for the last couple of sessions here called Preparing for Christ's Return. And my original master text when I first opened up this series was Matthew chapter 25, which was the parable of the ten virgins. So we compared the foolish virgins to the wise ones and made some comparisons there. We're continuing through that process. So as you remember in that first teaching, and then I also reiterated this point again last uh, week, uh, a key concept here with Matthew 25 and the parable of the ten virgins, and we'll come back to our master text of Ephesians 5 here in a moment, but I want to make this point here about our original master text, Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, which tells us that half of the people who identify themselves as Christ's followers are spiritually asleep. They are totally unprepared for Christ's return. And likewise, one half of the church is actually a false church. One half the church is actually a false church. That's the message that we get out of the parable of the ten virgins. Now, when I opened up the series, I was focusing on the foolish virgins, the five foolish virgins, who let their oil run out, and when the bridegroom returned, they didn't have enough oil. But now I want to shift our focus to the the wise virgins. So I've been talking about the seven signs of the unprepared up until now, but now I want to shift our focus to the seven signs of the prepared. So those first two teachings we talked about uh, one sign of the unprepared, or if you want to shift the focus to the prepared, is that the prepared, their lives are not just about themselves. They're all about kingdom advancement. They're all about helping others, being interested in others, making uh, our society a better place. So that was the first thing. The second thing is one sign of the prepared is that they don't have an affinity for the world anymore. They've lost their love 
and affection for the things of this world. And now their affections are set on things above. But now I want to go to the third sign of the prepared. And that is a connection to God's people. Now, the picture that you're looking at there is a picture of my friend Phil Gilbert and his wife and stepdaughter. And this is the friend I had to say goodbye to a couple of weeks ago because he passed away very suddenly. But I wanted to introduce you to him because he provides an important object lesson to our teaching today. You see, there were two things about Phil's life that really inspired me. Number one, he was a great people person. He loved being around people. And people really loved being around him. And he brought joy and laughter, as you see there in that picture, he brought joy and laughter into every situation. And I do mean every situation. I remember I was uh, driving home with him from a a dinner. I stayed at his house whenever I was down in uh, the southern Indiana area. And he got pulled over uh, for speeding and ticketed. And he was making the police officer laugh. And And so he brought joy and laughter into every situation. I love that about him. But he wasn't just about being silly. He had a deep spiritual and reflective side about him that I really liked as well. You see, Phil knew that he had some weaknesses and flaws like we all do. And he was always looking for ways to grow and improve. So he read a lot and he asked a lot of questions, even of people like me and I'm 18 years younger than Phil was, but yet he wasn't too proud to inquire of someone much younger than him. And he was dutifully faithful to his local church. See, the church represented three things for Phil. First, it represented a place where he could worship God, but also it represented a place where he could interact with God's people and be encouraged by them and also be an encouragement to someone else. And also it was a place where he could learn and grow as a person. And he figured that he could use all of that that he could. And I liked that about him. So he never wasted an opportunity. Remember our master text in Ephesians 5 just now said, Make the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. And Phil did exactly that. He was faithful to church attendance because he was doing what? He was making the most of every opportunity, and that really showed in his life. So a key verse for this morning's teaching is Hebrews 10.25, which says, Let us not neglect meeting together, as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is it talking about? It's talking about the return of Christ. So we're talking about... Seven signs of those who are prepared, well prepared for Christ's return. So that's the day that it's talking about. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see that day approaching. By the way, I've harped on faithful church attendance a lot over the years. And for the most part, I think that our church really does a good job along these lines. But as I said last week, a little bit of corrective driving doesn't hurt us once in a while, right? Making those little adjustments on the steering wheel so that you don't drive off the road, right? So a little, even though you may be 
cruising down the highway and you're between the lanes, a little bit of corrective driving on the steering wheel keeps you from going off course. That's all we're doing here this morning. I think that our church does a pretty good job of, of church attendance for the most part. But, you know, again, a little bit of corrective driving to keep us between the lines um, is always a good idea from time to time. So since we're talking about the seven signs of those who are well prepared for Christ's return, we have to address this topic as well because a low priority on the meeting of the church is one of the first signs of backsliding. A low priority in the meeting of the church is one of the first signs of backsliding. And by the way, I really want you to get more out of this teaching this morning than just come to church on a regular basis. If that's all you get out of this, I failed in my mission. Because my mission here is to shine the spotlight on some inner heart issues that we all need to be aware of and paying some attention to. And I want to say something to those of you that have gotten reconnected to the church lately. You know, th this teaching won't be a reprimand or anything along those lines. That's not why I'm doing this. I actually had the outline of this series several weeks ago before some of you got reconnected. So this, this is not designed to be directed at you. It's, it's for our whole church. We're going to all get something out of this. And I want to say something to you that have been kind of away from the church and then gotten reconnected. God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's delighted that you've gotten reconnected. He's delighted, okay? So again, this is just a little corrective driving for us this morning just to keep us between the lines, okay? So hopefully there'll be something here for all of us. Now, as I get into this, I want to ask um, how much time we have. And I'm not asking you for the time of day. I'm asking you how much time you think you have. In other words, how much time do you think that you have left on this earth? See, none of us really knows how much time that we have, do we? You know, Jesus could come back at any moment. And we could be called out of this life just like that. Just like my friend Phil was. So it pays to be prepared all the time and making the most of every opportunity all the time. And, you know, on that note, I like what some football coaches say to their players. They say, leave it all out on the field. I don't know if you know what that means or not. Those of you that don't, are not really into sports, what that means is you didn't hold anything back. You gave it your all. And that's what my friend Phil did. He lived his life giving it his all. And that's what I believe that God is calling us to do today. Don't leave anything out on the field. And part of what that's going to look like for you, I think, and me, is taking advantage of every opportunity to learn, to grow, and to be a part of someone else's growth process. And that's what the church represents. So one of the first signs of spiritual failure is when you think you can navigate the tricky waters of this life alone and you don't need anyone's help. And you set sail isolated from God's fleet. Listen, I've spent nearly 30 years now 
in various aspects of ministry. And I can tell you this one thing for sure that I've learned over the years, that a person who is not passionate about the meeting of the church is almost never passionate about God. God and His church cannot be separated. The church is the bride of Christ. How can we say we love Jesus if we don't love His church? Okay? See, when a person attends church about 50% of the time or less, that's a sure sign that he or she is not keeping his lamp burning very brightly. So, Jensen Franklin, a pastor in Atlanta, said something I really like. And he said, one of the first signs of spiritual failure is when someone begins to isolate themselves from the people of God and from the place of worship. You see, your level of faithfulness to church attendance is like a temperature gauge of your spiritual fervor. Now, in my personal experience, and maybe your experience is different, but... In my personal experience, I've never known any mature and very wise Christian who wasn't faithful to a local church body. Not ever. But almost all of the immature and weak Christians I know only have a moderate or less commitment to the house of God. And I'm not talking about new Christians who are just newly in the faith. I'm talking about people who have been around for a long time and have a very low or moderate commitment to the house of God. Those people tend to not grow to the level that they otherwise would if they were in church on a regular basis. So there's a connection there, isn't there? Make church a low priority and walk in ignorance. There's a very high possibility of you walking in ignorance and making foolish choices. But make church a high priority and walk in the blessing of God and grow in wisdom, and make increasingly better choices along the way. Last year I did a series on God's purpose for the church, and in that series I asked how many of you have been hurt or wronged by someone in the church, and about half of you raised your hands. Well, unfortunately, being hurt by someone in the church is not uncommon uh, because... We're all imperfect people here. <laughs> you know, you've heard me say a few times, I think, if you ever find the perfect church, don't go there. Because once you get there, it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> all right? <laughs> Amen. And the reason that Satan works so hard to get things stirred up between church members, by the way, is that he has a divide and conquer strategy. Divide and conquer. See, if he can get people harboring wrong attitudes toward one another, he knows that he can weaken, discredit, and eventually destroy the church and many people within it. So don't think that you're undergoing some unusual thing if you get hurt or offended by somebody in the church. See, there's always going to be tares among the wheat, Jesus predicted. And sometimes there's going to be very sincere people who just have bad days and bad weeks sometimes. So we all need to be willing to forgive one another and, and bear with one another's weaknesses, right? But by all means, don't abandon the church of, because of what somebody else did because that's exactly what Satan has in mind. He's trying to isolate you from the sheepfold where you are easy prey. 
Now, this reminds me of a, a show that I watch from time to time called I Shouldn't Be Alive. Have any of you have ever seen that show? A few of you, okay. So it's the true stories about these harrowing experiences of people who get themselves in terrible situations, terrible injuries, whatever, and really, except for the grace of God, they shouldn't be alive. They pull through about by the skin of their teeth, and so it's those stories. Well, the, the story that I watched that maybe was the most difficult for me to watch, and, and these are all uh, reenactments, okay, of these harrowing experiences, but even the reenactments can be kind of gruesome sometimes. And the one that was perhaps the most difficult for me to watch was um, of a young man, 19 years old, who was on a hunting trip and got attacked by a mother grizzly bear. And she just mauled him. And it was amazing that he even survived that attack. But the way that this whole thing transpired taught me a lesson. I'm not a hunter, but if I ever go hunting, I'm, I learned a lesson from this. Um, he was hunting for elk, him and his father and some friends of his, in the mountains of Colorado, I believe it was. And they were coming up over a hill, and this young man was looking out over the horizon, just looking so intently at any, any movement, anything that might have been an elk that they could bag. And he was paying so much attention to looking off and looking for the elk, he didn't pay attention to where his group was. And he walked down over a little ledge of that hill, a little ravine, and got separated from his group. And lo and behold, he walks right into the lair of a mother bear protecting her cubs. And she just literally tore him up. Now, that's not the end of the story. Miraculously, he did survive the attack, although he was horrendously injured. And because he was separated from his group, nobody knew where he was, and he couldn't see them. And, and boy, as bad luck would have it, it began to rain very heavily. And so even as he cried out for help, no one could hear him. Even as he shot his gun a couple of times, no one could hear him. And so they, they called out for him, no answer. They shot their guns, no answer. None that they could hear. And so finally, darkness fell, and... They were still searching, but eventually they had to bed down for the night and try to call in some help. But, but he was bleeding to death. He was, he was horrifically torn up by this bear. And, but he realized, if, if I don't get off this mountain, I'm going to die here. So that whole story was the harrowing experience of how he got off the mountain by himself in that condition and found help at just the right time. Well, the message that I got from that not only where hunting is concerned, don't separate from your group, but there's a spiritual parallel here. Likewise, Satan knows if he can isolate you from God's people, you are easy prey. You're easy prey. And it won't be too long before he tears you up. And it won't be too long before you're probably not even serving God like you once did. So I want to read a passage in Psalm 42 to you. But before I do, let me just mention quickly that King David, who wrote the book of Psalms, associated God's presence with the house of God. Because the house of God is a consecrated place, you see. This prayer in Psalm 42 was during a time in David's life when he was on the run. 
hiding out from King Saul who wanted to murder him. And he was missing worshiping with the saints and being in the house of God. And this prayer in Psalm 42 was his lament. Now, now I want to say this. You can experience God anywhere. I know that. We know that. God's not limited to a building. We know that, of course. But there is something about the church, the house of God, that helps us to connect with our Heavenly Father in a unique and special way and to one another. And that's what David was talking about here, and that's what he was missing. So let's read this really quickly, and then I want to read you my uh, ESV study notes commentary on this passage. So let's read this first, and then we'll get to that. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear in God's presence? My tears have been my food both day and night, while men ask me all day long, where is your God? These things come to mind as I pour out my soul, how I walked with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise. See, David was missing that and lamenting that. Okay, let me read the ESV study notes because I think this gives us some additional illumination on this. It says this, Psalm 42 expresses the desire to return to God's presence in the sanctuary. The psalmist laments his circumstances connected with his enemies who despise God and oppress his faithful servants, which keep him from attending worship at the central sanctuary. Singing this psalm in corporate worship would especially foster a sense of yearning and expectation in the faithful so that they would learn to attend worship looking for God's presence, to mourn any circumstances that would prevent them from attendance, and to count their attendance at worship as a great gift from God. Certainly not a burdensome duty. Don't you like that? So let's read that psalm again with those thoughts in mind. Once again, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear in God's presence? My tears have been my food both day and night while men ask me all day long, where is your God? These things come to mind as I pour out my soul, how I walked with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise. And he loved that, and he was missing that. Now, as we keep these thoughts in mind, I'm going to talk for a few minutes here about three reasons why people drift away from fellowship with God's people and how to find your way back. And once again, this is just a little bit of preventive medicine here this morning. And, and examining these reasons, by the way, why we tend to drift away from God's presence in church, church attendance specifically, um, this is where we're really going to touch on some heart issues. So I hope that you're paying close attention to this, uh, even if you're already a person that attends church regularly, because I believe that God has something for all of us here. Again, this is all about growth. Okay, so the first reason why I believe that people tend to begin to drift away from church experience or church attendance, rather, is negative experiences. Negative experiences. Now, I want to remind you that the parable of the ten virgins assures us 
that half of the church is actually a false church. And I don't know if you knew this, but the Methodist denomination right now is evidence of this because half of the leaders in that denomination say now that it's okay to ordain ministers who are homosexuals in direct violation of the Word of God. And the other half is sticking to the Bible and have broken away from those who have deviated from the Bible. So some have become very disillusioned with church attendance because of these sorts of things. And under those kind of circumstances, I kind of really understand that. I sympathize with that. And likewise, much of the church today is simply going through religious motions and not providing people the meat and potatoes of God's word but are rather simply coddling people and allowing them to feel comfortable in their spiritual coldness. So if you've ever gone to church and not gotten much out of it, maybe it's because you were in a church that was just feeding you little sweet treats rather than making you eat your vegetables. And we all need our vegetables, don't we? Both physically and spiritually. I want to bring up another point about why people drift away from the church regarding these negative experiences, and that's regarding church leaders. You know, there's also the element of spiritual abuse and manipulation by some church leaders, or leaders who veer off course into sinful behavior and do much damage to the body of Christ in doing so. So if you've ever experienced any of that in the past, would you allow me to say how sorry I am? that you experienced those things, that you were treated that way, and that you experienced leadership who did not represent the interests of Christ. See, Jesus warned us that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing. He predicted that. He prophesied that. There would be wolves in sheep's clothing, so to watch out. So I want you to see, I'm going to read you a passage out of Ezekiel chapter 34 here in a second. And I want you to see how God feels about that sort of thing with this passage from the prophet Ezekiel. And you're going to see two things where the character and attitude of God is concerned. You're going to see two aspects of God. Number one, you're going to see in this passage I'm about to read the great love and concern that God has for his children and his flock. And the anger that he has toward those who mislead the flock and don't shepherd them properly. All right, so I'm going to read this passage to you. Let's go. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Again, this is the prophet Ezekiel. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and tell them that this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed their flock? You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bound up the injured, brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. 
My flock went astray on the mountains and every high hill. They were scattered over the face of all the earth with no one to search for them or seek them out. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Lord God, because my flock lacks a shepherd and has become prey and food for every wild beast, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but fed themselves instead, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand from them my flock and remove them from tending my flock so that they can no longer feed themselves. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Lord God says, Behold, I myself will search for my flock and seek them out. As a shepherd looks for his scattered sheep when he is among the flock, so I will look for my flock. I will tend my flock and make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the broken, and strengthen the weak, but the fat and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd them with justice. Do you see the love of God for his people there? He basically says, don't mess with my flock. If you're a leader in my church, you had better shepherd them properly. I'm holding you accountable. So I believe I speak for the Lord today when I say that if you were ever abused or manipulated by a church leader or a church leader veered off course into sinful behavior, uh, those things don't represent the interests of God, folks. And those leaders will be judged for the damage that they did to God's flock. But here's the good news for you. But now God is seeking you out to heal your wounds, and to shepherd you like you're supposed to be shepherded. Amen? Isn't he good? But there's another element to this point about negative experiences that I want to make. And I want to reiterate the point here about various um, offenses in the church. See, if you were offended by a fellow church member, well, again, that's not really a reason to give up on church. You, you know, we're all very different from one another, aren't we? And we all have different backgrounds and temperaments. And when we're all thrown together in the mix like this, at some point, we're probably going to rub each other the wrong way. And, you know, we're all in process and all at different levels of maturity. And I believe this is one of the reasons why God ordained church, so that we can learn to bear with one another's weaknesses. See, learning to persevere with patience with people who are in process and who don't act very godly sometimes, is an opportunity, listen, it's an opportunity for our own growth. Our own growth. So, see, look, this is the genius of God in commanding that we be part of a church body because he knows that doing so is going to give us the opportunity to look at ourselves in the mirror and ponder why we reacted to that person the way that we did. Isn't God smart? <laughs> so don't give up on church just because someone rubbed you the wrong way. Uh, that person may very well have been wrong. But who knows? 
Maybe it was you who was wrong, or a combination of both. See, God wants us to get past those little petty differences and grow up. Again, it's all about growth, isn't it? So now I want to turn our attention away from what other people do that uh, make some people drift from church and focus on our own hearts and motives. So look at the screen. The second reason why people tend to drift away from church attendance sometimes is simply a lack of passion for the things of God. I'm on Facebook once in a while and I see these memes that uh, some of them are garbage, but some of them are really good. And so this uh, little... uh, thing that you see on the screen there is a, a meme that I found on Facebook. I thought it was really good. So it, it says, the church in Afghanistan, quote, we will gather and likely die. Now what you're see- seeing in that picture there is Christians in Afghanistan digging their own graves because they would rather be executed for their faith and have to dig their own graves before it happens rather than to recant their testimony about Jesus Christ. So that's the situation of the church in Afghanistan. So that's their attitude. We will gather and likely die. And the church in America, however, we will gather unless there's a cookout, birthday party, or if it's a nice day or there's a chance of rain or I'm a little tired or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And to a degree, you know, I kind of understand some of that because, I mean, my gosh, church can be a little boring sometimes, I guess, depending on where you're going to church and what your attitude is toward it. I mean, I admit I'm probably pretty boring sometimes. I, I, seriously, I, I review my sermons online sometimes and almost fall asleep doing it. I ask the question, why, why do people come to our church again? I mean, it's just, it's just a grace that God has on you for putting up with me. But uh, at any rate, I get it. You know, maybe we could work together to make our church more stimulating. I'm all for that. But going back to my friend Phil, you know, he admitted that the church that he attended wasn't the most exciting church that he's ever been to. But his attitude was that he was going there not just to get, but he was going there to give as well. Yeah. See, it always comes back to sowing and reaping, doesn't it? Let me show you another meme I found on Facebook. I think this is so important for parents. Um, When parents don't make church a high priority for their kids, kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids And those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. And then those kids grow up with no concept of God. Isn't that the truth? Now, by the way, side note, um, whatever happened to punctuation and capitalization of letters? (laughs) Are we really that lazy now that we can't even capitalize a letter or put a period at the end of a sentence? But I digress. All right, so... There are 52 weeks in a year, right? So while that doesn't always work out to 52 Sundays, we can safely say that there are around 50 Sundays in a year. And if you can look back over the year and say that you've been at church maybe 45 times, well, then you have a really high priority on the 
the meeting of the church. Maybe you missed for some vacation days or sick days, but overall, you've been here most of the time. And that's a person with a very high priority on the things of God and the meeting of the church. But if you can look back and estimate that you have only been in church over the last year about 30 times, well, hey, listen, I want to commend you for those 30 times. That's certainly better than nothing. But what's been going on those other 20 Sundays? What's been going on those other 20 Sundays? See, a person might say that 30 Sundays is still better than half, and that's true. But those other 20 Sundays adds up to five months of missed worship services. Five months of missed worship services. That's 20 times you could have been getting a word from the Lord for certain aspects of your life. That's 20 times you could have been encouraging someone else. That's 20 times you could have been in the presence of God in worship and been encouraged by that experience like we had this morning. That's 20 times you could have had your kids in church. But instead you were sleeping in or who knows what else. Folks, I'm not legalistic. You know that. But there are certain things that ought to be priorities in the life of a Christ follower. And in these perilous times, you had better be prepared for the warfare that's being waged right now. And listen, don't you dare tell me that you're willing to die for your faith if you aren't even willing to give up a little sleep for it. Ouch. If you can't say amen, say oh me or something like that. Come on, just, I'm just being honest with you. What was that meme that you saw on Facebook yesterday, Don? It was very much like that. Don't say that you will die for your faith if you're not even willing to go to church for it. Something like that? Yeah, so very similar. Now I want to go to the third and final reason why people often drift away from uh, church attendance, and that's a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience. You know, it's interesting to see the human psyche at work because people will sometimes work very hard sometimes to keep from facing the reality of what they are becoming or have become. They will isolate themselves from people who represent higher standards than what they want to live up to and instead surround themselves with people who simply tell them what they want to hear. Instead of flying with the eagles, they want to go back to pecking around in the manure with the turkeys because that eases their consciences. And, and by the way, we see this sort of thing play out all over the place in the Bible. Did you know that? For example, whenever a king came to power in Israel who didn't want to live up to the highest standards of righteousness... Um, he would cut himself off from the prophets who were in place there to speak the word of the Lord to those kings. So righteous kings like David kept those prophets nearby all the time. But unrighteous kings like Saul and others uh, would isolate themselves from those prophets and sometimes even persecute them. At other times, those kings would surround themselves with yes-men, the prophets who only told those kings what they wanted to hear. And then jeer at prophets like Jeremiah and even persecute prophets like Jeremiah who boldly proclaimed the true word of the Lord. And why did they do that? Well, because they didn't want to have their consciences pricked. That's why. 
They felt better whenever they were surrounding themselves only with people who were like them, compromisers and backsliders. So it's very, very important the company that you keep, folks. It's very important the company that you keep. The Bible says that a wise man is cautious in friendship. A wise man is cautious in friendship. Very important the company that you keep. See, there's a saying that misery loves company. And I also believe that that's true where sin is concerned. Sin loves company. Because sin doesn't thrive as much when you're surrounding yourself with those who will hold you to a higher standard. Come on now, you're, you're really quiet this morning. Come on. See, people who are compromisers want to be around other compromisers because it eases their guilty consciences. And by the way, that's why a lot of these seeker churches are so popular with people these days because so often, and not all the time, but very often, some of those churches don't hold the high standards of righteousness or a reverence for God's word. And they don't hold their people to high standards. See, when you cut yourself off from the body of Christ and other Christians, you're isolating yourself from the fellowship, from relationships, and from the prayers and support of the saints. And we're all in this thing together. We support each other. We can't walk with Christ alone in this life, folks. We need one another. And since the New Testament is full of, quote, one another's, we are not to be separated from the body of Christ. See, there are many members, but the body functions best when all the parts are here playing their roles and doing their parts. So when you begin to isolate yourself, that's a sure sign that you're drifting away from God. Now, what I find interesting about that scenario is that some of those same people who cut themselves off from, from the church, um, things seem fine for a time, but then they start to struggle, and then they may actually crash and burn really bad, and then guess who they want to call? The pastor. And that's okay, folks. That's what I'm here for. And that's why the church is here. We're, we're, we're more than happy to help out however we can, even if you've gotten yourself into trouble. We're happy to allow you to come back and, and, and minister to you however we can. But had they remained in fellowship, maybe they wouldn't have gotten in that crisis situation to begin with. Right? So again, this teaching is just a little preventive medicine for you. Keep it between the lines. So don't separate yourself from the sheepfold that God has placed you in. Because when you do, like that young man who was hunting and got separated from his group, you make yourself vulnerable. This is why God ordained the church. Now, I want to show you the opposite scenario for a moment. I want to show you a sign of true repentance and I'm referencing Acts chapter 2 here. And I know we've talked about the first sign of backsliding, being, being isolating oneself from the fellowship. But I want you to see the first sign of true repentance as demonstrated in the early church in the book of Acts chapter 2. So let's read this together. Peter replied, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise belongs to you and your children and to all who are far off, to all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words he testified and urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Those who embraced his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the believers that day. And now I want you to see the results of what their conversion was in the next verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Yeah, a clear sign of someone who has truly had a heart change is his or her desire to be in fellowship with God's people and to be taught the word of God. In fact, they devote themselves to it. Can I just give you a little personal testimony real quick? When I came to the Lord and I decided I wasn't going to live that sordid life anymore, I was going to just come to the Lord, I was all in. All in. I wouldn't, was not playing around. And guess what? Missing church, I'm serious, it never crossed my mind. I'm serious. I've been walking with the Lord since 1993. And from day one, because my love for God was so passionate, because of what he saved me from, my love for the church was just as passionate. I never, even before I became a pastor, I never missed church. And as a matter of fact, Sunday morning wasn't enough for me. I told you the story uh, a couple of weeks ago of when I crashed the women's meeting, right? It was Friday night. I didn't have it. I'd cut myself off from all my old buddies and all my old associations and doing the things that I used to do on Friday nights. And here I was all by myself on Friday night. And I'm like, I got to get in a service someplace. And so the only thing I could find was a, a women's meeting and I crashed it. <laughs> because I, I wanted to be with God's people that much. I wanted to be under someone's teaching that much. I wanted to be in the Word of God that much. So I was in church three times a week. I was attending a church that had a Sunday night service as well. So I was in, the church, in church Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. And then we got involved in worship ministry, and I was there about five times a week because we were there for Wednesday night. We had a Thursday night worship rehearsal. Um, we uh, did Sunday morning, and I was there really early for that. I was there Sunday nights. And then we added a Saturday night service. And I was there for that too. So, and, and, and Donna and I, I'm so thankful for my wife because she's always been totally on, and we've never even discussed this, but we've always been on board perfectly with our commitment to the house of God and just being there every, every time the doors were open unless we you know, had a physical issue of some sort or we were on vacation. That's the only time we ever miss. I can count on one hand from the day in 1993 that I gave my heart to the Lord, I can count on one hand the times in the course of a year that I've missed church. Just because it's so, it's so a part of my love for God. And we do crazy things like take vacations and go to week-long conferences. <laughs> Who does that? Right? Unless you really love the Lord, right? And you, you, you want to grow in Him. So this is what I'm trying to get across to you folks, 
is that if you really want to grow, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So clearly a person who is hungry for God is passionate about his church. You can't read the Bible and get anything other than that message right there. I want to say that again. You can't read the Bible and get anything other than that message right there that a person who really loves God also really loves his church. All right, I'm almost done, so bear with me. So in swinging back around to our original master text from our first teaching in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, one of the signs of those who are well prepared is regular fellowship with the saints is one way we keep our lamps burning. And one sign of the unprepared is those who don't make regular fellowship a priority. So in keeping with the theme of the seven signs of the prepared for Christ's return, let me give you a, a, a summation, a little summary of where we've been so far in the first three teachings of those who are prepared based upon those first three teachings. So first, a person who is keeping their lamps burning brightly is not as concerned about his or her own affairs only, but is also concerned about other people's affairs and is interested in advancing the kingdom of God in whatever way that you can. Secondly, a person who is keeping his or her lamp burning brightly is a person who's not attracted to the wicked things of this world anymore, but is increasingly in love with God and is pursuing a passionate relationship with Him. And thirdly, a person who is keeping his or her lamp burning brightly is a person who is passionate about fellowship with the believers, which is going to include corporate worship, Hello. Thank you for that resounding amen. That includes corporate worship, learning God's word, serving, and encouraging one another. All right. So I want to end with this right here. I'm swinging back to my friend, Phil Gilbert, who, you know, my friend, he's in that picture there. He looks like he's looking up into heaven and contemplating his future home in heaven one day. And now he doesn't have to contemplate anymore because he's there. Yeah. See, Phil made the most of every opportunity to learn and grow. And now that future home that he may have been looking at in that picture, he's now there. And I can just picture him at the feet of Jesus learning because that's what he loved to do. Loved to learn. Now I can just picture him at the feet of Jesus learning and Jesus saying to him, Phil, well done, my good and faithful servant. You left it all out on the field. So let's read Hebrews 10.25 again with those thoughts in mind before we pray. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Yes. Praise the Lord. Stand with me.
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.